Mark chapter 7, we're going to continue where we've been studying. Mark 7, 1 through 23. Now, so as, as has been our tradition, right, Colton has taken the bulk of the scriptures and we read for three hours and then we talk about what's coming, right? I, I got lucky, I got the small portion. The problem is it's got three sermons in it and so we're going to take it quick and fast, uh, but it should be a, an exciting time and the message is incredible when we think about traditions and commandments and that kind of stuff. So read with me in verse 1. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him, with some of the scribes who came from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honor me, honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men, and he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. Verse 14. And he called to the people again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people... His disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So today's sermon is entitled, Inside Out. <clears throat> so it's inside out, right? This first section we're looking through, verse 1 through 5, it's taking him to court in the court of public opinion. And so this idea is, these elders, we look here in verse 1 through 5, it says, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, right? So this idea that they're coming from Jerusalem, the Pharisees and the scribes. So essentially the Pharisees grabbed their lawyers and said, let's go to Galilee. That's a great place to be from, right? It's kind of like 
kind of like a little Gatesville. It's, you know, it's a great place to be from. So you raise your kids there, then you got to go, right? It's that kind of a town. But they're going down to Galilee, and they're taking their lawyers to go confront Jesus. And so the fact that they're coming from Jerusalem is the um, ecclesiastical place of authority, right? That's where the church is. That's where the fairs, the temple's at. Um, rather, not the church, the temple. And so there's this, this heavy weight that comes with them. They carry some authority when they come, right? And so they're coming with that idea that we're going to set the record straight. We're going to catch this Jesus. Their idea is they're going to catch this Jesus in some more craziness, right? That's what they think. And so already we can see that even though they think cleaning your hands ritually, right? Even though they think cleaning your hands ritually makes you spiritually clean, you can see right away their hearts are wicked. Already they're spiritually defiled, in the eyes of God, because their heart is set against one another, set against Jesus. And so we have this wickedness already showing up. Verse 2, it says, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. And so Mark gives us a little commentary on what does it mean to be unwashed or unclean. And he says, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly. So Colton talked about this a couple weeks ago, last week or the week before, and it's the idea when they wash their hands, there's this ritual they do. They, they get a handful of water and they wash, but then they knuckle up, right? And they wash with their knuckles and then they let it run down to their elbows and then dry off, whatever. And so it's this ritualistic idea that that's how things work to clean up. And it's not, see, they weren't worried. They weren't really worried about the hygiene of the people. They, they weren't worried about the, the health of the people. They're more worried about um, their rituals. They weren't worried about the heart of man. They're worried about the outside, right? What did Jesus call them? You whitewashed tombs, right? So they look good on the outside. You ever seen a whitewashed tomb? They're real pretty, like a mausoleum. They're real pretty on the outside, but what's inside? Dead stuff. Yeah, a lot of dead stuff. And so there's this idea that um, they're just excited about the outside. Show us the outside, man. And so as we're working through this, they're really looking to catch Jesus and his, and his, uh, his followers. They're really looking uh, to ensnare Christ. And eventually their heart is, what's their heart? Their desire is to kill Christ, to kill the Messiah. Now they don't recognize him as the Messiah because their heart is so wicked, so turned against God, they can't see what's right in front of their face. And so they're after him to kill him. And so already they're wicked. So... So this is, this is kind of a crazy scenario when we think about the law. Verses 1 through 5 are really kind of um, them setting up their traditions. They're washing stuff. They wash these pots and these vessels and, and all of these things that they do to protect the law of God, right? And so it kind of it has its roots in, in, in the, in the um, tradition of circumcision, right? The idea that... Um, we're removing that foreskin to um, make one clean. Now, they're doing this whole idea. They're erecting a wall. They're keeping the foreskin on their heart, right? So um, it, they think it's protecting the law. It's protecting them from the outside temptation of the world. But that, that piece of skin actually will trap disease. It'll trap uh, what's bad for you. Um, it's... it's medically proven that the practice of circumcision 
saves women from cervical cancer. I don't know if you knew that or not. It's an incredible statistic that talks about uh, men who have been promiscuous in their, in their lives and, and had other women, that it protects the, the wife they're with from cervical cancer. That's an amazing thought medically that God knew all the way back then that this was going to protect the women. Incredible. But here's the deal, right? What did, what did we have to do to protect our women? It was, a, it was a circumcision, right? Not just of the body, but also of the heart that protects us from the wickedness of the world. There's nothing we can do to protect ourselves from the wickedness of the world, except what? Surrendering to Christ, to it, re, receiving what he's given us. It is the removal of what we think protects us. To remove that, remove the wall from our heart, and allow Christ to do the protecting, right? And so that circumcision served as two signals, right? Two signs. One is a physical sign, but also one is a spiritual sign that says that that wall that we think protects us has been removed, and we're laying ourselves out to be protected by Christ, okay? And so, incredibly just understanding um, what, what's happening here. And so then the Pharisees and the scribes ask him, why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of elders, right? And so I kind of put that on you a little bit, didn't I? I said, the elders are going to, we're going to create this new tradition, right? You come in the gate and you got to pray and you got to do some homilies and whatever. That's kind of what's happening here. They're putting this stuff on them, right? So then this next section, six through seven, says, and he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written? And then he smacks them around a little bit and he says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So Jesus really, they came came to kind of put Jesus to the task to take him to court. And what really happens is Jesus flips the script on them and says, look at you, you hypocrites, right? That's what he says later. Their heart is for me, and uh, and in vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. They're they're hypocrites. They, They want to try to put this stuff on you. They don't want to help you out with how to really get to righteousness. They just want you to do the law. Do what's legal, do what's right, so that you look good on the outside. And he says this in verse 8, you leave the commandment of God and behold, or and hold to the tradition of men. <clears throat> so we see um, what God has said in his word throughout the years. Uh, in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, Uh, It says here, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. In Deuteronomy 12, he says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to hear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. 1 Samuel 15, 22 says this, And Samuel said, Has the Lord... Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than to fat of rams. Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. 
Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. First Chronicles 28.9 And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father, and serve him with your whole heart and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches all hearts and understanding, and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. So we see that God's desire is not for the outward workings, right? It's not for let's come and say some prayers before we come in and enter in. There's nothing wrong with that, right? There's nothing wrong with praying through and thinking about, hey, I'm fixing to come into the house of God. Let me, let me set my spirit straight. Let me set my flesh straight. Let's get in the right order. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Is there, is there anything wrong with that? Two people, all right. I think they were kids. So anyway, um, it's the idea that, hey, traditions are good so long as they're in the right place. What place do they belong in? They belong below God's Word. God's Word is always first. Always. And so Jesus flips the script on them. And even with this um, urging, so even with the urging that the prophets have put on the people, right? They've said all these, they've put all these scriptures out. God has laid this out. Even with this urging, the people of Israel still slipped into externalism, hypocrisy, and apostasy, right? They're still trying to do the external stuff instead of looking at God's word, worshiping God, and standing fast according to his will. Instead, they want to do the external stuff. It's easier, right, to do the external than it is to try to, to, to look at the inside and say, okay, God, here I am. I'm messed up. I'm broken. Heal my body. Heal my spirit. Heal my soul, right? It's hard to look introspectively into, into my person because that's, man, that's a crazy picture when you think about looking in the mirror and that looks back at you. You're like, wow, and I'm not even talking about the outside. I'm talking, what am I seeing on the inside? Wow, God, fix me, right? And so then we get to the, the graphic in verses 9 through 13. And he said, you have a fine way. Now here's, here's I love this. Verse 9 in the Lexham English Bible says it this way. Uh, the translation reads like this. And he said to them, you splendidly ignore the commandment of God so that you can keep your traditions. I mean, splendidly, that's the wording there. Splendid. You do a, a fine, a crazy, an amazing job at doing that and not at looking at God's word. That's the wrong kind of splendid. You don't want that. You don't want that compliment from a teacher saying, you're doing a great job of not doing the right thing. Nope, that's not the one you want. That's not the one you're looking for. You're looking for the one that says, you're doing a splendid job at loving me all the way. Man, when your wife comes to you and says, you know what, I just love you because you're so amazing to me. I love you because you're awesome, right? I saw him right back here. He's grinning ear to ear. I love when she says that to me, yeah? I do too. When my wife says that to me, that's amazing. Right? And so when God says, well done, good and faithful servant, that's what we want to hear, right? We want to hear that. And so we don't want to splendidly ignore God's word over the traditions of men. Traditions are good. They have a place in our history. They have a place in our life, right? But they need to be below the word of God. They need to when, when, they, when they no longer serve the purpose that they were intended for, to cast them off. They're just traditions. It's not God's word, and that's okay. 
We need to remember how that works and what that looks like. And so let me explain Corbin just a little bit. Corbin is, um, so Jesus comes at him with this, with this hard uh, truth about God's word, right? He says, God's word says this, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. And so here's what the Pharisees did. As a matter of rule, as a matter of law, listen, just take, take Corbin, take all that you would. So this is the idea that um, when your parents are old and they're elderly and they're, they can no longer take care of themselves, right, then it's the responsibility of the eldest to take care of mom and dad, right? I take my finances, I take my home, and I put them up. I take care of them. That's the idea. Corbin is the idea that all that I have, God, I'm so holy, I'm so righteous, all that I have, God, I'm going to give to you. Which now makes it held in a devoted status to God, and they can't use it to take care of mom and dad. The law forbids that they take that Corbin and give to mom and dad. Now that sounds way better, doesn't it? Let me, I'm going to devote all that. That sounds really hmm, pious, doesn't it? No, it sounds ridiculous. It sounds completely ridiculous. And we do that all the time with God's Word. We're going to do this, but not what God said. We like to set up little things that we can do that kind of make it easier on me, right? What makes it easier, to take my finances and support mom and dad? Or is it easier to say, oh, man, all I got is going to God. God's got it all. It's all His. Talk to Him. I'm sorry, I can't do anything. My hands are tied. Sorry, Mom and Dad. I mean, they only took time to take care of you, raising you, raising me up from a, a wall climber, right, to, to being something that they could be proud of, and now you're repaying them with such great kindness by saying, all is Corbin. And so that's what is happening here. And so Jesus is rebuking them. He gives them this graphic picture of here's what you do. Do you understand what you're doing, Pharisees? You're, you're taking God's Word and you nullify it and you allow people to do what's wrong. To literally sin against the Word of God. That's crazy. And so, <clears throat> God's Word says, John 14, 15 says this, If you love me, what? You will keep my commands. It's that simple. That's simple, right? In word, but not in deed. That's a matter of, I, I, there's nothing I could do. Um, Tristan said it earlier, I came in here thinking that I'm bringing something to the table when really, I got nothing. My righteousness is as filthy rags. There's nothing here that I can give. And so as Jesus walks through this story of, of Corbin, as he delivers this out, um, there's kind of a technical term. It's, a, it's, a, it's called a, see if I can say this the right way, it's called um, a enthymeme, right? Who knows what that means? Me neither, so I had to look it up. Uh, it literally means logical argument. That's it. I should have just said logical argument, and you'd have been like, oh, I, get, I got that. Yeah, that makes sense. No, I got to hit you with the big word like I'm smart. So, um, but, so the, the argument kind of works out like this. So as we see it laid out from, nine, from 13 down to, let me see, where does it go? Down to, oh, it was from 9 to 13. The argument goes like this. So the expanded logical argument reads this way. Number one, God's word commands persons to care for their parents. Number two, 
the scribes and the Pharisees forbid persons who have invoked the Corbin rule uh, to care for their parents. Three, therefore, the scribes and Pharisees reject God's word by their tradition. And four, since number three is true, their tradition must be wrong. And five, therefore, Jesus' disciples have not committed any crime by not washing their hands, nor are they ritually unclean, right? And so the Pharisees came in with this idea, we're going to catch them, boom. Jesus lays out just a logical argument. Mark lays out the story in such a way that we get this argument, and it never really gives us the conclusion, but you look at it and see, you can draw your own conclusion, uh, they're wrong, right? That's what we get from this when Jesus says, what are you doing? He never, he never comes right out and says it, but there it is in plain English uh, or, or Hebrew if, or Greek if you read that. So, um, so it's the idea that Mark is using apologetics in the way that he prepared the, the message here, the way that he laid this out. There's apologetics, there's argumentation for how do we talk to the world. So do you think if Mark um, was using argumentation like that and Jesus was using argumentation that way, do you think we should use it occasionally? Not all the time, but sometimes it's good to use logic to uh, refute. Sometimes logic doesn't even pay because people are like, I, I, I want what I want, and so that's that, right? Because we're, we're what? Basically wicked, yeah. We're broken. And so this is, uh, this is the idea that total depravity... Do we believe in total depravity here? What's total depravity? Total depravity says that you're born a broken, busted sinner. You're born that way. Now, does that mean you're not redeemable? No, that would be ultimate depravity. Ultimate depravity says you can't be redeemed. God says, oh, I'm, I'm bigger than your sin. I, I'm, I'm bigger than your mess. I'm bigger than how you were born. I, I can redeem you out of that. So you're, we're totally depraved from birth. And I know some of you are going, what? I mean, I got this baby that's just, I mean, precious as peaches, Right? There's no way this baby is, is a sinner. Not from birth. That, that's not a thing, right? That, is that a thing? Yeah, yeah. Because um, give it a couple weeks, a couple months, and what happens? Uh, give that kid a toy, and they're in a, in a group of kids playing with other kids, and what happens? Whack! Smack! Hiya! Whoa, Mom, you taught that kid to bite? You are terrible parents. Right? Who does that? Who teaches that? Nobody teaches their kid to bite. They just learn it. They come out the womb. I'm going to bite somebody when I get to my choppers. That, by the way, is why they don't have choppers when they're born. Because somebody ain't eating. I'm just saying, right? So, so yeah. And then, and then what happens? Terrible twos and threes, right? How do they get that name? I mean, they're babies. Te- terrible two, right? Why do they get that name? Because one minute you turn your back, you go to the kitchen, you come out, and next thing you know, Junior is hanging from the ceiling. What? How did, what? Yeah, he is a wicked wall climber. That's what he is. He was born a sinner, and he does what sinners do. Mom said, don't cr- climb. That must be the fun thing to do. Guess what I'm going to do? I mean, I do that now. I'm 54. So that, we're born with a sin nature. And the only thing that sets us separate from the world is what? You'll get it later. We're going to get there. All right, so, <clears throat> so then um, maybe now you're reading in your Bible and verse 15, 
Let's take a look there. It says, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him... Okay, so we're hitting this, we're hitting this stage of what defiles you, defiled at birth, right? What defiles you? And verse 14 says, and he called the people to him, again, and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside of a person that going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And verse 16 says, do you have a 16 in your book? No, it's missing. Why is it missing? Now, maybe you have an older modern, or a newer modern translation, or an older, sorry, I'm confused. You get an older translation, maybe like the King Jimmy. King Jimmy still has it in there. It may be bracketed. It may not be. But what we've found is that this saying, which is this right here, it says, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Has Jesus ever said that anywhere? Yeah, in a bunch of places, but not here. And so in the earliest manuscripts, we see it's not there. And so newer translations are beginning to omit or bracket it to say this isn't in the earliest manuscripts, right? And so it doesn't change anything, whether it's there or not. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't change the meaning. It doesn't change what we learn. It's just not there. He didn't say it. Um, and so somebody decided it would be neat if he did say it there, and they put it in. So, um, so then moving on from there... Um, and I think the neatest thing about that to me is that the, the most reliable manuscripts, the earliest manuscripts, the oldest ones we find, right, don't have that in there. And that's important because the oldest scripts are saying, no, it's not there. And so we can trust that they're reliable, okay? And we can trust that God's word is reliable. By the way, let me ask you this question. How many evangelical Christians, what's the percentage of evangelical Christians that believe God's word is, is literally true. What's the percentage? 25%? I hope it's not that bad. How many? 15. You're going south. Quick. Anybody else? 30. No. 54% believe, right, that the Word of God is literally true. By the way, that's still an indictment. That's still an indictment on the church. What? I mean, it's God's word. Jesus says it's either true or let's pick up traditions. Right? So, verse, uh, verse, verse 17. <clears throat> so, in verse 17, if you look at Matthew, uh, and I want to say that is 15, uh, Matthew chapter 15, verse 12, he, he has uh, some extra stuff in there. So, we're going to read that real quick. It says, then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Was Jesus surprised or appalled that he offended somebody? Uh-uh. No, he said, You know what? Don't pay him any attention. It's the blind leading the blind. That's the next thing he says to him. Oh, gosh. He didn't. Oh, oh. No, he said, They're the blind leading the blind. Ignore them. Right? Does that mean we treat people that way all the time? No, but when you come across religious people who think that it's the law that takes, takes you to heaven, blind leading the blind. Blind leading the blind. Leave them alone. Right? They're, Jesus later calls them sons of hell. That's harsh words. That's harsh. But when the truth comes, we've got to tell it. Right? And so, so then we see, um, he says then in verse 13, he answered, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. 
Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. So there you have it. And then it says that Peter asks, hey, um, could, you, could you explain the, the parable? Could you explain that to us? And Jesus, in the NIV, the translation goes like this. Are you so dull? I love that. Are, are, are you so dull? Are you adult? Right? Are you, what? No, it's the idea that, it, so, it's, so it's, it's not a heavy rebuke, but it's a, an easy rebuke to say, you've been with me this long? I'm a year away from the cross, and you still don't know basic truth. So it's just, a, just kind of a, a mild rebuke to say, are you so dull, right? Understand some truth, right? And so that's kind of where we're at. And then, then Peter, then the, he says, and when he entered the house and left the people, the disciples asked him about the parable. So this is back in Mark, and it says, and he said to them, then are you also uh, without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not the heart, but the stomach and goes out? And so then Mark gives us some more commentary. Thus he declared, all foods clean. And so there's a problem with the Jewish tradition that says there's clean and unclean foods, and God says to Peter, right? So this might be an indication of Peter's influence over Mark here, uh, knowing that Peter had a confrontation with God uh, in his visions, right? Hey, I made all this stuff, don't call it unclean. So in Acts chapter 10, we see that confrontation between Peter and God, and God gives him this vision and he's supposed to go down and see the Cornelius, I think it was. Anyway, some Gentile. Oh, I can't go down there. They're, they're crazy pagans. They eat weird food. And God drops, in his vision, drops this sheet, and it has all these unclean foods prepared. And he says, eat. Peter's like, nope, not going to do it. Can't make me God. Nope. What does God eventually say? Don't call what I made um, defiled. I made it. It's clean. Right? And so the idea is, God has made all people. Don't call them unclean. You go share the gospel with them. They're ready and they're ready to receive the word. Go, go share, right? Also, that also re- lifts the restrictions on the dietary issues of the day. Eat pig, it's good. Bacon rocks. Anybody? Yeah, I hope so. Um, all right, then verse 20, it says, um, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. Okay, and so it's literally, guys. There's nothing we can eat that's gonna. I mean, it may make you sick. You might eat something that makes you sick, right? You might want to hurl it back up, but it's not gonna defile you spiritually. It's not gonna change your spiritual connection connection with God. That's a that that isn't that can't be handled from the outside. And so then we see here in verse uh, 21 to 23, Jesus says this. For from within, out of the heart of a man, come evil thoughts, right? And here we get, we get to the roll call of evil, right? And so I want you to get this picture, right, of Junior in his bassinet. And then think, then let's hear this real quick. Uh, evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceitful, sensual, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. That baby has that in him or her. Wow. We're born that way? Yeah, out of the heart comes the problem. So it's not, it's not also, guys, it's not the heart valve. That's not, it's not the, the pump, right, that makes us evil and wicked. No, it's, it's the core of who we are. It's how we're born. It's, it's the insides. It's the emotions, the soul, the spirit that is wicked and rotting. 
It's only by the grace of God that we can do anything. And so the next is the only way out, the only way to be free from the wickedness from within, God tells the Israelites about it in Ezekiel. And so check this out, in Ezekiel 36, 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. And that's Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. So even then, even in Ezekiel's time, God was telling them, there's something coming. There's something coming. Look to the future. And so they were saved by their faith in what God had coming. What God had coming. We're saved by what God has sent. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Right? So understand, the traditions of men are not binding, but they're not all bad, right? God's Word binds us. God's Word is what we should be looking at. And it should, it should hold a high stature, a high status in our lives. It should, it should tell us how to live. Traditions walk with us in that. And when they quit serving us, they can be cast aside, right? All we need is King Jesus. We don't need traditions. We don't need rituals. We don't need washings. We don't need cleansings. We need King Jesus. God prepared a way. God sent His Son to die on a cross for you and me that we might receive Him and go to heaven. Right? And the the incredible thing here is that God asks us to simply repent. Believe that His Son is who He says He is and accept Him as our Savior. And so if you haven't done that today, this is an opportunity. Um, we're not going to hold an altar call. Just This is an opportunity. You think about what God has said to you in this service, what God has said to you through His Word. Nothing I said may stick with you, but I hope God's Word changes your heart, changes your life. And that from this day forward, you've accepted Christ and you can go on to heaven if you leave here and get hit by a bus. God is good and he loves you.